that your greeting carries with it their healing. And as we walk around among each other, sometimes, you know, now some folks in the old system are waiting to find somebody that they can give a word to. I got a word for you, brother. Well, we ought to have a word for everybody. Just, I love you. Hi. How are you? You don't have to say yay. (laughs) You don't have to say yay. You know, relax. Settle down a little bit. It's just and as you as you put touch their hand when I take their hand, you know, somehow maybe God will just speak to me and just say, you know, as I love you and as I'm speaking to you, I could have in my spirit an answer to a need that you've been praying for forever. I don't have to become prophetic, which often becomes pathetic. With trying to glorify myself because I need you to know I have a great gift. No, that's unnecessary. I just need to minister my love to you and receive your love back to me. And sometimes in the presence of the Lord, that's one of the richest things we could possibly do. Does that make any sense to you? But see, that would mess up our religious stuff. Because right now we're supposed to be making announcements or taking up an offering. And if we don't do that, everybody gets a hiccup. It's like, what happened? Boy, I tell you what, they messed up that service. We messed up the system. We messed up, yeah, we messed up the routine. But just what if God would like for us to just be who we are in him? Did you know that you are the flesh of Christ in the earth? When you touch someone, he's touching them. You don't know that? Give me my Bible. I think it's in that. Oh, that's the bag you gave me. I notice you have a new one. It's a subtle hint. <laughs> no. Pastor, I'm just kidding. This one's... This one's good. It's getting old and ragged, but it's fine. (laughs) All right, I'm going to do you a favor, Julie. You ready for this? This would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay? For the love of Christ constraineth us. Verse 14. Say, I am arrested. No, no, say, I've been arrested. I've been arrested by love. It constraineth us. It compels us. It is controlling my thinking now. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that, hey, if one died for all, everybody's dead. Let's all say we all died. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. If one died for all, if one died for everybody, then everybody is dead. Man, that in itself is a phenomenal revelation. Everybody's looking up there. Is it on the board up there? 
I was trying to be subtle. Julie, all you have to do is look up there. <laughs> Somebody back there is quicker than I am, okay? And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So, since he died for me and since I'm dead because he was my sacrifice, so he didn't just die for me, he died as me. His death was my death. Okay? And since that's a fact, then my life should not be for myself. My life should be for him. Isn't that what it's saying, basically? But see, we're just about to run into a phenomenal collision here in the next few words. All right? Wherefore, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. His flesh is gone. All right, are are you still with me here just for a minute? Okay, I won't know any man anymore after the flesh. Although we have known Christ after the flesh, yet we know him no more after the flesh. Okay? Yet now henceforth we know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What, what really is being said here? That's okay. What's really being said here is that we have taken over the fleshly responsibility of his person. Let me say that again. We have taken over the fleshly responsibility of his person. He's not here in the flesh anymore. We knew him in the flesh, but now we know him no henceforth no more after the flesh. Well, where is he? How can we see him? The truth is that we are in him and he is in us. So the truth of that is that I now am the flesh of God in the earth. Now we can agree with that in theory, but we need to start responding to that in fact. And the reason I've taken this passage right here just for a moment is because I would like for us to believe that when we touch each other, our relationship and our fellowship should be more than just greeting hi. Or in the old abstract church, is always praise the Lord, which is a spiritual hello, really. (laughs) Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, everybody, you know. And we go on and on. The truth is that when we greet one another... And with a great hug or with an embrace, the scripture calls it a holy kiss. I would just assume that most of the folks who are in the male section of the choir do not kiss me. Okay. <laughs> However, Bishop Weeks, I'm so glad you decided to come and be with us this evening. Why don't you just come on? No, come on up here, Bishop. Come, come on up. Come on up here. Come on. Come on, Bishop Sanders. Yeah. Right over here. This is the, this is the dunce chair over on that far corner, right? right Both of y'all. I want everybody to look at this. This is what happens to bishops when they're late. (laughs) How you feeling? Good. 
What an amazing thing that God has delivered you from cancer two times. Two times. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet and give God a shout. Hallelujah. Woo. That's right. Hallelujah. Because of the spirit of this world that had its way, we would have been to your funeral a long time ago. And look at you coming in here and walking right up here in front of everybody. I think we ought to give God a little glory here in the house. Yeah. Hallelujah. What a God we have. What a God we serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a mighty God. Did you really think, I said this today, that God has a problem with a devil? Did you really think that there is a real war going on between a fallen angel and a God who kicked him out? Did you really think that the the demons of hell have authority and power over the people of God. You are the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. I'm going, I'm going to pronounce some things right now. God doesn't want you to carry cancer around in your body. No, God does not want you to have a weak circulatory system. God's going to heal somebody of vascular disease right now in this room. Right now in this room. Ooh, Jesus. I just saw blood pump through. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Oh, God. I don't reckon somebody's in here been on dialysis. I, I just saw, I just saw a great flow of blood surge through a, a cloudy, dark, dying vein, artery. I don't do this very often, but I just saw it in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to, and I'm not going to leave it. I'm just going to say you are healed in the name of Jesus. Go to the doctor. Tell him to check you again. Who am I talking to in here? I'm talking to somebody in here. That's you. You go to the doctor. And you tell him to examine you again. And you tell him I'm healed. I don't have it anymore. I'm okay. You got it? All right. Woo! Hallelujah! Yeah, let's try this again now. Hallelujah. See, I, I, I am concerned that we need to have a greater lateral relationship. I 
cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and what you mean to Tess and I. Uh, it's such a blessing to know that I have a place to put whatever small remaining revelation God gives to me in the hands of faithful people of God who are a pure seed. i got to talk about that. Probably tomorrow I'm going to talk about seed because uh, we... I cut short today. I only went for two hours. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it's really important that we understand who we are. If God is bringing us out of and delivering us from systematic religiosity. I'm not talking about being delivered from from being a part of a family, being a part of a congregation. I'm not suggesting to you that the, the, that the ecclesia, that the called out ones do not come together. I'm not suggesting that we don't meet together. If you want to do it on Sunday, that's wonderful. But you can do it on Saturday and you won't offend God. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Some folks are scared to death. I remember when I changed services, been over 35 years ago, when I stopped having a Sunday night service, all you sweet, wonderful Holy Ghost people remember Sunday morning and Sunday night? Yeah, okay. Well, when I stopped having a Sunday evening service, and I didn't only do that, but I quit Sunday school, I said, no, that's not, that's not the best plan. So I spent six months teaching the people in the congregation that they were supposed to become the priest of their own house and that the training of their children was not the responsibility of a few folks on Sunday morning called Sunday school teachers. And for them not to get upset and mad when their kids were doing all kinds of stuff, when the girls got pregnant and the boys got on drugs and come blame the preacher and blame the church. I said, you need to point your finger right back at yourself because you tried to pawn that off on some kind of a system that really failed about 200 years ago. That worked really good in the horse and buggy days when the old church house was also the schoolhouse. And so they would let the kids have school or Sunday school while the folks were having dinner on the ground. So if you all want to stay all day long, come at 6 in the morning, stay till, di till dusk in the evening, then Sunday school will probably work. But outside of that, you have them all week long. Why would you give them to a Sunday school teacher for two hours? On? I'm not trying to mess up your Sunday school. I'm just telling you that it's ridiculous some of the things that we follow through with because I did not talk to you about the second idolatry today. I told you how many idolatries are we suffering? And I only told you about one, didn't I? You caught that? Well, that's why I'm sitting here right now. I'm going to tell you about the second one. Because we do what God said to do too long. That's the second great idolatry of the church. And so if it worked one time a long time ago, we do it forever. And when God would like to give us a greater system, we can't hear it because we are so stuck in a rut. You know what a rut is? It's a grave open on both ends. 
and we get stuck in a rut and we just keep doing the same thing over and over because we think it is the thing to do. And if you don't do it that way, you get about half the church mad at you and two-thirds of them quit paying tithes because that's their way of controlling the preacher. (laughs) Go ahead, take a deep breath and smile. It's all right. But that's the truth. If you don't do what everybody wants to do, then they seek to control you. I said today, this is a theocracy. This is not a democracy. This is not take a vote and decide what the people want. That's the work of the Nicolaitans. The Bible said, Revelation says, which God hates. Rule by laity. Say rule by laity. No, no, no. Never does the congregation tell the leadership what they have to do. God speaks to Moses, and Moses speaks to the children of Israel. That's the order God speaks to his people through the elders and the bishops that he has established and given. And not just, not just elders and bishops in title, but I'm talking about God's true apostolic leadership. And that's how God speaks to us. And so this whole thing, when I stopped having Sunday school, And when I stopped having Sunday night services, they sent an envoy from St. Louis, Missouri. That was the organizational headquarters. They announced that they were coming. I did not invite them. I didn't want them. But they came anyhow. And the first thing they said, what do you think you're doing? I said, I'm sitting in this office looking at you, wondering why you came all the way from St. Louis. You, you know that you're pastoring our largest church internationally. And you do something like this. You affect the whole system. I said, well, praise God. <laughs> I didn't know I had such authority and influence. But now that you mentioned it, I'm so grateful Would you like for me to explain? Oh, no, we don't. No, 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 no. Just because I stopped having a Sunday night service. Well, of course, it didn't help that I started having church at 2 o'clock in the afternoon either. Because that was another no-no. I did three things all at one time that was really bad. I stopped having Sunday school. I changed Sunday service time to 2 o'clock in the afternoon and quit having a Sunday night service. All at the same time. That's three tickets in one day. <laughs> it just seemed better to me that the parents have a plan. So I just created a book and a plan for the parents to, to know how to teach and to train their children. And I taught them that if you teach them correctly by the time they're 12 years of age, we can have a bar mitzvah and say, Thou art a man, my son, and like Jesus, send him into the main congregation into Jerusalem at 12 years of age. Seemed a lot smarter to me. And by the time they were 12 years old, if they followed the plan that I laid down, they could quote 640 verses of the Bible. Seemed a lot smarter to me to talk to them about what it really meant to have a mother and a father who would lead them and guide them because I couldn't be there when they rise up in the morning when they lie down at night. I didn't want them calling me, said, we're putting the kids to bed now. Would you come and, and bless our children? Because he said, you teach them diligently when they rise up. I'm boring you, aren't I? Good, I'm, I'm making an effort. I want to bore you, okay? Then maybe you'll be happy when we do something more exciting.
Folks don't know when they've got it good until you make it really bad. And when it gets so bad, then when you do something a little lot, they just feel like, praise God, he finally quit this. No, I'm going to keep talking about this. Because the reason I'm saying these things is that if we just continue doing routine things because it is the thing to do, and I'm not saying that Sunday school is bad. It just may be that in some settings that's the way it should be. But for me it was not that way. I was constantly putting everything we did on trial for its life. Do you hear what I just said? We constantly were putting things on trial for its life. If it doesn't work, kill it. Not only that, but is God saying something now that he was not saying 10 years ago? And if he is, that would be what kind of a word? You've heard me enough. What is that? Thank you. A proceeding word. That's the word that saved Isaac. Remember? It was the next word from God. When God said, lay not thy hand on the lad, it was the same God that said, kill your son. And the same God said, don't touch him. So a lot of times when God speaks to us and tells us something, it is not forever. Because there are times and seasons, situations and cultures, and ideas that work sometimes in one thing that do not work in another. There are times when God, but if we are really that flexible, spiritually able crew, to be able to move with the Spirit, to hear the voice of God. If we can, in fact, let our God throw up a little fire at night and move, or throw up a little cloud in the daytime and we can move. He never did like, He never did like a permanent residence because God is a moving thing. The first time you ever find Him in your Bible, the earth is without form and void, darkness is upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God. That's the first time you ever find him in your Bible. The Spirit of God moved. The last time you ever find him, way down in the book of Revelation, it's even so come. Come, Lord Jesus. And somewhere between the goings and the comings of the Lord, the Bible says as many as are led by, not stuck in, not standing around in an old word, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, if we truly want to be the sons of God, we're going to have to hear the voice of God. You do not change for change's sake. Just to change things because you want to shake things up is stupidity. You hear that? That's dumb. Don't do that. Until you hear God tell you something and you know it's God, don't do that. But if God speaks to you, then you have to fearlessly move forward to do something that God is saying to do, even if it does shake up the system. And even if it does stir up the congregation. Because they will always, the people will always try your patience in wanting to not change. But change is the most powerful word of all of redemption. If you cannot change, you can't repent. If you can't change, you can't turn around. If you can't change and you cannot adjust, you cannot follow. Because God does not always walk in a straight line. The God I serve always walks in circles. Always. You want to help me with all that? When he made the earth, what shape did he make it? Square? It's not a long line. 
It's round, and it goes around. It's a round moon that goes around the round earth that's going around. And the round earth that's going around with the round moon that goes around the round earth is going around the round sun that's going around. Everything, he has set his circuit, circle, in the sun, the scripture says. If people had read the Bible, they would never have believed back in the 1400s that the world was flat. They would have known, because God said it was a circle. It's too bad that took Galileo and not the prophets to figure it out. And again, when I say I'm trying to bore you, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to cause you, I want you to, see, I can get up and teach and preach. I will say something in a little while. I got something I want to say. But I really want you to start thinking. I want you to start prayerfully hearing the voice of God. Is that wrong for me to want that? You call me Papa. Listen to me. I will not always be here. And the people who are your leaders will not always be with you. Someday you're going to have to hear the voice of God yourself. And if we are ever going to have a ministry of the saints, we don't need a bunch of fools on the street. We need people who have character and righteous thought patterns who do not go out and just try to do stupid things because, oh, I'm going to go be with. No, you need to really allow God to deal with your heart and speak to your spirit. And you need to be able to move with the cloud and move with the fire. And if you don't do that, and if you cannot do that, then God cannot use you because your seed has already been mingled. I want to tell you that the greatest problem that we're having is that we are still clinging to things that God left a long time ago. Do you remember the brass snake? You remember? Nehustan. Yeah, who said that? Hezekiah. Came in, came, in to, came in to cleanse the temple. 700 years before, God told Moses, make a serpent of brass, put it on a pole. And that's because the serpents in the wilderness, the fiery, venomous vipers, were biting and killing the people of God. God's remedy for that terrible circumstance in the wilderness at that, say at that time. Say in that circumstance. So God gives a method and mode of deliverance. Set the brass snake on a pole. How are we doing, Julie? She doing okay? Okay, good. Set the, okay. Set the brass serpent on a pole, put it in the middle of the camp, in the midst of the camp. Whosoever looks on the serpent will live. Look and live. Remember the old song? Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in the book, hallelujah. It's recorded that you look and live. Look and live. My brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Oh, it's recorded in the book. Hallelujah. It's recorded that you look and live. Oh, look and live. My brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. For it's recorded in the book. Hallelujah. It's recorded that you look and live. You have to be an old, old Pentecostal to know that one right there. Because the Bible said, as Moses 
lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It was a symbol and a sign of a redemptive act that would come to pass. But it was for that time, in that moment. You follow? And then you've got to remember, they came then around and around in 40 years, came out of the wilderness, came across the Red Sea, came into the land that God had promised them, built temple, built the temple of God. They built it and then they let it fall down in waste. And they came, Hezekiah came in to cleanse the temple. He's going to clean things up. 700, help me here, how long? 700 years after the wilderness experience. And when he goes in to cleanse the temple, well, over there in the dust and in the cobwebs, see, that's, that's the altar. The laver should be right over here. Oh, man, look at that, all crusty, and the brass is all tarnished, and whew, what a terrible mess. The candlesticks, I wonder, ah! Because right over here in the corner is that brass snake now, they have forsaken the worship of Jehovah according to the pattern of the tabernacle, but they were burning incense to that brass snake 700 years later. That's when you do what God says to do too long. You say, oh, wow, what a story. No, no, you can tell your own. Just go look at your house, look at the people, look at what we do, look at the routine, look at the thing. Come on, talk to me. I'm your best friend right now. I'm not telling you that there is a one size fits all. I'm just telling you that there should be a Holy Ghost that does fit everybody. That should be able to speak to us and tell us that there are some things that we've been doing that no longer apply because the circumstance has passed. The reason I'm saying that is because religion routinely marries all kinds of temporary miracles to eternal truth. Did you hear what? Did you hear that? What, what did I say? The, because temporarily there's a miracle for that moment in that time. And then we marry that to eternal truth and make that part of the doctrine. So that the basic doctrine and tenets of our faith get all skewed and encumbered and all corroded with all of these other things. So that you cannot tell what is truth and what is... As a matter of fact, Jesus made the statement, he said, you teach for doctrine the commandments of men. And there was a time and no doubt a circumstance in which God commanded certain things. Am I making any sense to you? Commanded certain things to come to pass. But we were supposed to be a moving people. We're supposed to be a led people. As many as are. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be hearing the voice of God. If I am Jesus in the earth. If I am Christ in flesh, you understand what I'm saying? I don't mean that I'm Jesus or you're Jesus. I'm saying that the only Jesus they're ever going to see is you. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of filling the earth with the glory of God. There's no other flesh to be seen. We knew him in the flesh, but we know him after the flesh no more. 
What is he now? Spirit. Where is he? In you. That's the mystery that Paul said. The mystery hid from ages. Nobody knew from the beginning. But now made known to the saints. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. We say oh Jesus is in me. Because we treat it as an experience. We do not treat it as a spiritual responsibility. We want to feel it. We don't want to have to be it. That's why you like going to church. Because it tickles your Holy Ghost. And makes you wiggle. And when you get through, you say, Whew, what a service. Wow, I'll tell you the presence of God. No, 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 what a Jesus. What an almighty God. We sang about him all evening here. What a powerful God we have. What an unbelievable God we have. What an amazing God. God, this fathomless, eternal, magnificent deity that has chosen to take up his abode in you. We have a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the glory might be of God and not of us. But the truth is we carry around a powerful authority. We walk in a mighty anointing. You say, well, I know my pastor's a great man. What's wrong with you? We understand spiritual authority. We submit to those that God sets over us. But it does not discount the fact that every one of us who receives the Spirit was really endued with a spiritual tool chest. When you receive this Holy Ghost, there are certain gifts of the Spirit. We have taught them wrongly. We have taught that they are so special that somebody in the church can get up and prophesy. And somebody over here, you know, they have healing. And somebody over here has discerning of spirits. And the truth is that all of these things at a certain time and a certain place are available for everybody. I'm sorry. I taught it wrong years ago. That's what we teach these, that's what we teach these NGPs. Say NGP. <laughs> new generation of power. Say new generation of power. That's what we teach them. That's why they walk down the street and say, let's stop right here. Knock on that door right there. Somebody's sick in there. Knock on the door. How did you know? Because Jesus told us. What do you come here for? To heal you. Say, oh no, Jesus is with you. No, no. Jesus said, you, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. You do, How? In my name, of course. But they just come out and say, we've come to heal you. In Jesus' name. How did you know? Because they got a word of knowledge. Because God gave them just a little something, let them sense that somebody was there. These are the kinds of testimonies that are happening all the time. Say what? They've been trained in church. Because church became their training ground as to how to use the spiritual tool chest. Where's my youngin that laid hands on the school teacher? Where's, where are you? Stand up. He's the one that put his hands. Was it the teacher that you prayed for in class? Say what? The vice principal and the teacher. And God healed them of what? Because they were having to retire because of a terrible situation. He just stands up and says, well, wait a minute. Can I just put my hands on you? Before you retire? 
He's sitting in class, in school. They're reaching over, they're reaching over 25,000 students a day. Do you hear what I said? A day. And these all through, and God is getting ready to open up Mexico big, 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 big. The school system. Huh? Well, it's against the law. You're not supposed to say God or even speak the name of Jesus in school. So they don't. They just say, be healed. And then whisper, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You say, well, we need a mighty pastor. No, we just need a bunch of NGPs. That's all we need. New generation of power. People who, yeah, people who know who they are in God. Kids who are not afraid. And they get these little words of knowledge. And God will give them a word of wisdom. And they go to somebody and say, God spoke to me. You used to be, you, you were raised up in church. You used to know something about Jesus. But you, you've gone away from Jesus. How did you know that? Jesus told me. But see, these are the babes in Christ. Our problem is that a little child should lead us. Our problem is that we have been so unled for so long that even if somebody showed us a word, we would not dare take the step. We're going to stay stuck in religion unless some of us older people start leading. I am ready. I don't know about you, but I am ready to let God be God. And if he wants to skip, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. If he wants to skip our generation, then do it, God. Because we've got a whole bunch of new generation that are not afraid. They are not afraid. That's why the revival is sweeping Mexico. What you're hearing right there. Because they don't have to be told that they can or cannot do something. They know by the spirit. You know how many days, how many days you take these kids in to train them? How, how, many, how many months and weeks and years... I beg your pardon? How many days? Three days? Yeah, but they just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Or some of them haven't even got it yet. So what do you do? Three days? You got them filled with the Holy Ghost by then? Got them water baptized by then? Not really. They baptize each other? They shouldn't do that without a ministry license. We need to have a talk. They do it without a license. <laughs> they don't know they need a license. Okay. You don't need a license. Okay. See, we all are concerned about this. Because we know we are the old establishment. Even, even our government is going through the same thing. Yeah. We, both the Republican and Democrat parties are both being assailed by those who really do not want the system anymore. You know why? Because 78% of the American people don't want it anymore. But the system is holding on just like this. You know why? Because control and power rests in the ability to always do the same thing the same way. 
you cannot control a spirit that at any moment could go off in a different direction. Nobody fears that so much as a religious pastor who has a wild bunch. I know. I got everybody all charged up and all excited. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, God, help me. How do I corral all these people? Because they were doing dumb things like walking down the street, laying hands on people. And, and, and I found out some of them had been going over to the pond over behind Laver School and baptizing a bunch of the kids during lunch hour. And they were doing it the right way. But they just did not have the authority. And so I sent the elders and sat them down and I said, listen, before you start doing that, you need to go to training class. How long would that be? Well, you need to go to ministry school and that's two years. And then we have to make sure that you qualified so you can get a license. Remember Wide World Ministries? Nathan, remember? Wide World Wide World Ministries. Was that before your time? Was that just a little bit? Yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah. And so I had to start a Bible school so I could corral all these wild kids so I could and it's the worst thing I ever did. Because their zeal diminished. Their enthusiasm departed. And that once great move of God. I keep thinking about those hippies that waded into the Pacific Ocean. Remember the Jesus people? But see, the problem was that we couldn't handle that because some of them were still smoking weed. And they'd leave their beer cans on the beach and wade out and baptize each other in, in the name of Jesus. They were called the Jesus people. 5,000 of them at one time were baptizing each other in the Pacific Ocean. And we condemned it all. Because we said that's not right. Because they're not under proper authority. I probably beyond most every other person you know believe in apostolic authority. I do not believe anything can consist long without authority. The apostles remained in Jerusalem as a core group even though the others were spread all over the world. The Bible said they were scattered everywhere. They went everywhere. But they went everywhere preaching. The apostles, the Bible said, remained in Jerusalem. But the interesting thing about that was, was they did not control what everybody did. They only went down the worst problem. For example, in the 15th chapter of Acts, now I am truly boring you. In the 15th chapter of Acts, I told you, Julie, where that was. Acts chapter 15, you got it? Thank you. Acts chapter 15, certain disciples came down from uh, Judea saying, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is total heresy. Say total heresy. Total heresy. Well, when you got total heresy, then the apostles should step in and fix it. But nobody told Philip he could not preach. And nor his four daughters to prophesy. What we have done is we tried to take control of everybody's life and ministry so that the ministry of the saints cannot and will not function because we were... You didn't know I was going to do this, did you? I can preach to you this morning and you're jumping up and down when I talk about the system. But when I start breaking it down, you're looking at me like I fell out of a tree. 
I'm telling you that one of our big problems is we believe it when you preach it on paper. And when I say this is how it's going to happen and this is what might happen, everybody clams up. I'm telling you the church will never be the same. Ever. If we come into the age of the kingdom, you cannot have church as usual. No. Now, see, you just have to make up your mind. You want to have church as usual? Forget about NGPs. Forget about sweeping revival. And do not preach ministry of the saints. Because it's a dichotomy. It will never work. You've got to give up your control and replace it with authority. Because only when you set them free and give them permission can you see the wonderful work of God sweep like fire that you can't put out. And the real question is, does God need to skip our generation? I'm thinking so. I'm sorry. I'm an old man now. But I'm thinking so. Because I'm not sure we can ever unlearn all of the things we've done so long. Because there is an idolatry in the church that is the strongest stronghold of all. And that is we do what God said to do too long. Now that I've got this all dampened down, let me tell you what I do believe. I believe God's going to raise up this new generation, and I think we ought to let them go. I think we need to let them go. (laughs) Don't look at me in that tone of voice. (laughs) We wonder why we don't have... People coming in. We wonder why we're struggling with all the bills. We're wondering why hard to pay for the facility. We're wondering why. See, none of that would exist. None of that would exist if we would just let God be God into people and let them go. But this all exists because we are trying, we have manufactured a certain system. And in the manufacturing of that system, if it doesn't work within the bounds of that system itself, we have a very great struggle. Because we are so accustomed to having everybody in a certain slot work in a certain way. I'm watching God do something. Now, there are two places right now. And this is a unique situation because you remember I told you I came back from Manila, Philippines. Some of you remember. I came back years. That was in 1973. 1973 I came back. I was preaching in the Manila arena. In uh, where the thriller in Manila, thriller in Manila, yeah, Ali or Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali and uh, Frazier, Joe Frazier. Well, they fought. I stood right there where the ring was, and they turned the ring uh, in the big boxing arena, seating several thousand people. This is where we saw such a magnificent happening of the spirit. They stacked crutches and canes up in a pile in front of the stage, higher than the stage, people being healed. I saw a 12-year-old girl carried by her father. She had suffered malnutrition in such a terrible condition 
that she went to sleep one night in a fetal position. Her bones were frozen in that same position when he carried her. She was just like this. She, the next day, could not move her bones. They brought them from the islands. They brought them from her. She's 12 years old, carried like a, like a stick of wood up to me. These people pulled at my clothes. We had, remember those old Swedish knit suits? That you pull, you know, you get a little ravel, they'd pull. I looked like a porcupine when, because I was sitting on the stage and the people reached out to touch me so much. They were pulling so that I had to throw the clothes away because they pulled at the, at so much. I just, all the knit and everything, it was just, they ruined the suit. But I was touching them, praying for that night, four people totally blind were healed. We don't know how many more. But one boy was 19 years old, born blind. He was born blind, had never seen a spark of light. He was healed instantly. I will never forget his scream. They set that, they held that little girl, that 12-year-old girl, just like a stick of wood. They, they brought her up. And I just reached out and touched her. I said, set her on her feet. When they started to set her down, you could hear Every joint pop. Pop, 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 pop. I mean, you could hear it. Pop, 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 pop. Elbows, knees, everything freed up just like that. And when they set her down on the stage, watch this. She ran. I watched those miracles one after another, one after another. I came back to the great Fort Worth church. Some of you have been in the building. Well, you know our beloved friend, Dr. Young, Bishop Young, is a pastor there right now in that building. Some of you have been in that building. At, at that time, we had swept the walls all out of the back and seated a great deal, many more than does at this time. But I came back. I was so excited. And I was telling these stories to my congregation. I said... This boy could see. He was 19 years blind, born blind, he could see. And this is this is how quiet it was. And I was shocked. I was staggered. I said, and and, and the, they had a pile of canes and crutches of people who were walking and running, and they, they were higher than the stage I was standing on. But this was the great Fort Worth church. The American Church of Power. People came from all over the world to hear the 250 voice choir. They came from everywhere to hear the music, the worship, the praise. They came to hear the preaching in the great Fort Worth Church. This is a church that supported 110 missionary families around the world. This is the great Fort Worth Church. And I'm telling them these stories and they are staring at me. And I looked at them and I said, you don't believe me, do you? Because what I had heard just a few days before was when I preached, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And these Filipinos started chanting, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, until that whole hall rang and roared with, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe. I still hear it in my ears to this day after all these years. I believe. I believe. And in the roar that never ceased for over four hours, I believe. I believe. These people were healed one after the other. One after the other. One after the other. One after the other. 
one of their power, 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 power. And I came back to an American church that did not believe me. And I told them, go home. Get out of this building. Get away from me. Get out of here. Go home. And I laid down on the platform behind the desk. And I sobbed for the American church. And it's unbelief. Yeah. And I told God, I said, okay. I had by that time preached in more than, I don't, I don't know at this point, some folks say 80 countries, I don't know, 60, 70 countries all over the world. And I said, I'll stay home. I'll give my life for the American church. And that's when I started being a rebel. That's when I started saying, we can't do the same old stuff forever. It's choking us to death. We're killing ourselves. Because I had, as Martin Luther King said, I've been to the mountain and I've seen the promised land and I have a dream. What a man, what a man, what a man. And I had seen miracles all over the world but never in that magnitude 25 they sent 25 mother superiors nuns to set across the front to rebuke the spirit of what we were doing and in one night all 25 of them received the baptism of the holy ghost Bam. If you've never seen a a nun dance, black and white, speaking, there's little hood things flopping back and forth all across the front. See, I watched it. I saw it. I saw it. Why am I telling you this now? Because we are at the door of the great awakening. That's why. But God... If he cannot wake you up, he will raise another generation. If you refuse and rebel, God will raise up another generation. I promise you, he will not. He will not let the generations and the ages pass without the redemption of his world. He did not determine falsely or idly that we would let the ages roll and a church dully dream that we were going to be snatched out of this world. The whole idea that we are safe in the church only to escape leaves the whole world without a witness. It is absolutely ludicrous. It's stupid to think that. Only blank minds and idle religiosity can lull us into such a dream as to think that we are supposed to leave here when God said we're supposed to be here. 
If he wants to take us, we will go. But I promise you, this world will have another powerful awakening. It will come to pass. I promise you. And if you don't do it, somebody will. Somebody will. When the Wesleys were told they could not preach in the Anglican church anymore. When they were pushed out into the streets. When their bishops and their elders were told that they could not because they preached fire, fire and power. And the Anglican church said that cannot be. We cannot have that. So they went out into what they called the open houses They went into the streets and preached to the masses. Way back in the 17, early 1700s, the first great awakening, the fire of that escape from religion. They left the buildings. They left the churches. They would not allow their bishops to be ordained anymore. Asbury. When they, when Wesley said to Asbury, go to the new world and ordain sons to carry the message of the method of repentance. Think about this. Ordain sons. Say that to me. That's where Benjamin Hanby was ordained. Eight generations back. When he, part of the founding of the great school, in, still in Cumberland, oh, in, in Columbus, Ohio, to this day, Audubon College, he founded that. Yeah, great university. He is the one who hid the slaves who were trying to make their way to Canada to buy their freedom. He is the one who stood up and said, go ahead, put me in prison. It's okay. It's okay. I don't care. But I will not allow the religious system. He's the one who ordained Bishop Wright and sent him to Dayton. Bishop Wright's sons would be called Orville and Wilbur. I come from a long line streaming all the way back to the Anglican Church. Bishops in the Anglican Church who were kicked out. So I've got it in my blood. In the second great awakening in this nation, when everything was moving west, Finney, where you are, Ed and Deb, Finney, this young Presbyterian who was an attorney who determined that he would, or supposedly an attorney, he was almost an attorney, and when the Holy Spirit came on him, he began preaching. Am I right, Phil? Finney. In the upstate New York, the power of his message took people out of their buildings and out of their hovels, and out. It, they started falling under the power of God in shops in New York City. They shut down business all over the country because of... <laughs> Kutadab... 
because of prayer. You say, well, that was in the good old days. That's our problem. That's our problem. We don't expect anything. You don't think anything. I promise you, there is a third great awakening. I've tried to introduce you to it. I brought it from Mexico to show it to you. In two weeks, Tess and I will be in Colorado Springs, Colorado. One of 70 couples who are invited out from across the nation to be with Daryl Scott, who, whose daughter was the first child shot at Columbine School 16 years ago. They are now in 25,000 schools in America alone. Yeah, Rachel's Challenge. Rachel's challenge. He has asked me to be his spiritual advisor. This is a man who once knew the power of God. He loves God supremely, but he absolutely left religion, everything behind. And now they are reaching into schools. They're reaching over 20 million students a year. They have now offered to give all of their materials, 16 years of trial and error and reaching young people to Apostle Jose Mora and to the Mexican delegation for what an extension of what we are already doing with the schools and the children. They're giving it to us. I'm going to be meeting with senators, governors from all over the nation with high people, people from Hollywood who give millions of dollars a year. You say, what are you going to do? I am going to direct all of this toward the great awakening so that all of these students that are being reached at this point, they are weeping in the rallies. They are touched by the story. They feel like pouring their hearts out. But God has one more step that we're about to add, and that is we are going to take them into areas and already one is being created in Mexico right now. One is almost done. How close are we? How close are we to done? Uh, three weeks. Three weeks we will already have a father's heart facility to use in Guadalajara, Mexico, where we can bring these young people out. And how many days will we need? Three days. In three days, we'll put them in the street. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. And we're getting ready to build two more. Tomorrow, I'll show you plans for that. One in the north part between Tijuana and Mexicali, and then one we need down in the southern part. Where's that? Madia. Down just north of Cancun. And this is where we will bring these young people to train them, to bring them. So if you do not want, if you do not want to hear the voice that can move you to absolutely move in a proceeding voice, if you want to stay where you are and be who you are, I'm talking to all of the old religious people, then do not hinder these little ones. What about Jamaica? You want to do that there? Then I have to have a father's heart in Jamaica. We can do I'll show you. 
Sit down. Everybody sit down. Where, where, show me Africa. David, show me Africa. No, no, see, I'm deadly serious about this. You thought I was just up here hollering? No. I have a short while. What if God would give me 10 years? I'd be 83 years old. If God would give me 10 years. If God would give me 10 years. Maybe he'll give me. If he'd give me 7 years. If I have 7 years. I will do my best. To make your nest so absolutely thorny. That you will not able, be able to rest. Day or night. Until you lose your grip on old ideas. And allow God to be alive in your now. You are the Christ in the earth. Okay. You notice. See. I said Africa. And you notice. How white these people are. No. Okay. Let's talk about this. No. You don't have to turn the lights back on. No. 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 It's okay. No. Let me explain to you. That where we are building Father's Heart. Just 40 miles north of Pretoria. One of the three capitals of South Africa. Another is Cape Town, another is Port Elizabeth. God has given us in our ministry son, our beloved Piet and Sonette, uh, Wester Vazen. Wester? Say it again for me. Oh, Vander Westerheisen. That's it. That's the, I just thought that probably that last name was not that important to you all. That's why they're Piet and Sonette, okay? They heard me preaching in the great conference in Beulah Park, what now, almost 20 years ago. We had 15,000 people there. Out of all of that, they rejected the message of the kingdom when I preached it. One man, believe me, he left Bible school, ordered. Seven years later, he showed up at our ranch. Yeah. And then seven years later, they called me and said, we're ready for you. We have a seed. Your seed is ready. When I got there, I was shocked. At this, they have people in the government. One of their elders trains all the special forces for all of South Africa. They have people all over. They are Afrikaners. They are white. They are German, British, Dutch descent. And what they have determined to do, because of the gospel, they have determined that they will reverse apartheid. That what... The Dutch and the German and the British did to the national people of Africa for so many years in controlling and taking away all of their life and liberty that they would now come and give their lives to go back to those villages to reach those people and to target primarily and particularly the young people and to bring them out to a place where they could be trained where they can be housed, where they can be trained, where they can be sent back into their villages with the pure gospel and the power of the Holy Ghost. Okay, that's why they look white, because they are. Their mission is to give their lives now for the nation of South Africa. And not only that, but to bring Joey. Where are you going in June, Bubby? Zambia. And you have you have ministries all over South Africa, Ralph. We've got to and think about this house right here. This house has a great family of Nigerian people, right? And think about 
I don't know how much it will be possible. We want to bring leadership from all over Africa. But we have to have a place. Let's all say we have to have a place. So that's why I have one time I ask you if you would help support that. I never ask again. I thank you for those of you who gave to this. But now we have done it. Okay? And now I'll be going next month again to dedicate more portion. But now you'll see some of it. We bring the young people out. We train them. We feed them. We clothe them. We house them for a week. And we send them back full of the Holy Ghost, full of the power of the name of Jesus, into their villages. We bring leadership. We're bringing now pastors of churches. We'll be bringing leaders of churches. And... uh, we will then tell them that they have got to change the system that they're doing and that God wants to bring an apostolic renewal to Africa, to South Africa. And they have to change or we cannot put these young people in their charge. We won't let them be brought back into a church system. We're going to set them free. And now we are already in four high schools now, I think, already now in Pretoria, five in Pretoria, Already five in Pretoria. Four of the schools, the high school principals, are a part of Piet's church, his congregation. But now we're already starting to bring hundreds of young people. And then we go into the villages. Father's Heart, Africa. Tomorrow we'll show you Father's Heart, Mexico. Amazing what God is doing. Now, this is not just what I'm doing. I want you to feel like you're part of this too. I don't want you to feel left out. If you think I've been too harsh this evening, I'm sorry if my tone was wrong, but my message is right. And I promise you again, I promise you again, There will be a great sweeping awakening. And if my generation cannot abide it, I promise you, God will raise up resource from another place and another generation will reap that harvest. It will come to pass. I just want to let you in on a little secret about this old man with gray hair and gray beard. I refuse to let it happen without me. Stand. Now let's put our hands together and glorify God. Hallelujah!